Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. We are in the middle of a series. This is week three, and the series is called Asking for a Friend. And at at Easter time, we polled all of you. We asked every single person in the room to give us a topic that you would like to hear us teach about. And every one of you wrote down answers and thoughts and questions and things that you were hoping that we would talk about in this series. And so we also know that some of those questions are heavy. And some of them can be challenging because life is challenging, right? And so we decided to call this series Asking for a Friend. We're not asking for us. We're asking for a friend. And some of the questions that came in uh, really were just so personal in the sense of what do I do when I feel stuck? What do I do when I feel stuck in life? What do I do when I find myself just waiting I'm praying, I'm believing that God is gonna do something for me, but I find myself in this waiting and in this holding pattern. A lot of the questions were, does God have a purpose for me? How do I figure out the purpose of God for my life? And so that's kind of what I wanna dive into today. I hope you're ready for this. But before we jump in, can we just pray and invite God to do what he wants to do in our hearts today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. I thank you for what you're doing in this room. God, I thank you for every person who showed up today. And I know, God, that your words are more valuable than my words. So I just pray that today, in this message, that you would lean in close and you would speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to tell you a story today that you may have heard me tell. I'm not sure. Um, sometimes I save the embarrassing stories and try not to give you too much leverage. But um, <laughs> this was when I was pregnant with my daughter, Avery. So she is nine at this point. So this was many, many years ago, okay? But the bottom line is, is that I'm a very impatient person. And, um, and that still is true today. But at that point, when I was pregnant with Avery, I was so pregnant. She was my second child. And let me just tell you, when they say in your second pregnancy that things just tend to stretch out a lot faster, they are not lying. I was huge. I'm telling you, people would come up to me and ask me if I was having twins because I was huge. And I was so ready to have that baby. So when I hit the marker, which I think is like 37 weeks where everything inside the baby is supposed to be developed and and the long are supposed to be healthy and good, I decided that it was time for me to have this baby. Because, you know, I get to decide those kind of things. And so I decided I was going to try everything in the book to go into labor. I begged my doctor to induce me. She was not having it. So I took things upon myself, and I began to try everything in the book to have this baby. I walked miles upon miles a day. I drank that raspberry tea stuff. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Blue cohash, I think, is something that I had, too. It tastes awful. I tried everything, and I do mean everything, and I'll leave some of those details to your imagination, to have this baby. I was so ready. I was tired of waiting. And so one night, I woke up, and I was having contractions. And I was like, it worked. 
this worked. And so I just get up in the middle of the night and, and I do what everyone does when they're getting ready to have a baby and I do my hair and my makeup at like three in the morning <laughs> and I'm timing my contractions and then I wake up Pastor Carrie, I'm like, it's time. It's time for me to have this baby. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm so sure. And he's like, okay, well, and here's the thing. I was induced with my first child, so I actually had no experience with labor whatsoever. So <laughs> let me just give you that disclaimer for those of you that are like, it's your second kid, Megan. Okay, so here we are, and we show up at the emergency room, and I'm checking in, and they're like, what, what are you here for? And I was like, look at my stomach, you know, I'm huge. I'm here to have this baby. And she's like, okay. And so they put me in a wheelchair and they wheel me up to labor and delivery and they put me in the room where they're checking all of your vitals and everything. And, and so they have me hooked up to all these machines. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm like, can we, could we get this show on the road? Like, I'm, can you put me in a room? I'm ready to have this baby. It is time. And the nurse leans over to me and she goes, honey, you're not in labor. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> She's like, you're, you're not in labor yet. This is what we call Braxton Hicks contractions. And I know that you feel them, but this is just signs of what is to come. This isn't actually labor yet, and we're gonna have to send you home. And I said, you are not sending me home. And it, she was like, well, sweetheart, you're not having this baby. I was like, I am having this baby. Do you have empty rooms in this hospital? And she was like, well, yes, yes, we do. And I said, put me in a room, give me some Pitocin. I am having this baby. And she was like, sweetheart, it's not time yet. And I went home, sobbing, crying, so depressed that it just wasn't time yet. And I just wonder how many of us feel like that's the story of our life. In the journey that we're on, in the journey of pursuing the purpose of God for our life and, and going after the promises that God has for us, I just wonder how many of us feel like we keep getting told it's just not time yet. And I remember feeling so frustrated in that moment but it's kind of like when we take a, a road trip with our kids. Has anybody ever done that before, a road trip with your children? What is the one question you can guarantee that they're going to ask? Are we there yet? And I think that's just the story of all of our lives. We're so ready to be in that place that we believe God has for us, or maybe, maybe we're just so ready to know what the promise is that God has for us. And so we're so eager for what's next, and sometimes the answer we're getting is it's just not time yet. And I just want to tell you that in this journey of life that God has you on, you are in a process. And every leg of the journey matters. You're part of this great big story that God is actually writing with your life. You know, there's a scripture I love in Ephesians 2.10. And it says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined. He planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Listen, God actually created every single one of us in this room with a purpose, with a plan for our life. Nothing about your story has caught God off guard. Nothing about the details of your life has surprised him. But we're all in different parts of that journey. 
And some of us, it's like we're just ready. We're in the very beginning stages. We're young, we're passionate. I notice I'm lumping myself into this category because I'm determined I'm gonna stay here. We're young, we're passionate, we're so excited about the, the purpose and the plans that God has for us and we're just ready to go. And some of us feel like our muscles are beginning to atrophy from being in the car for so long. We feel like we've been in this journey for so long. I think there's probably some people on this road trip of life that we find ourselves in that, that maybe are ready to reroute and go the opposite direction because there's been so many roadblocks. There's been so many things that have just come up against you. I think some of us are tempted to, to stop the journey because we're discouraged. It's like we've had a flat tire, car issues, the things that happen, and we're just feeling like maybe it's just not worth it. I wonder how many of us are tempted to reroute the journey that God has us on because we've lost traveling partners, because there's people that started the journey with us that actually won't finish with us. You see, there's this people group in the Bible that you may have heard about named the Israelites, and they were on a journey to their promised land. And we, we're going to pick up today in some scripture. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you're following along, or you can follow along on the screens. But we're going to pick up, and we're going to look at these people and the journey that they were on to their promised land. So Deuteronomy 8.1 says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Listen. I want everyone in this room to not leave today's service without understanding that there is a promised land for you. It's not just for you, it's for you and for your children and for your children's children. Listen, this is a generational thing. There is a place for you. And that word, go in and possess the land, may actually be for someone in this room today because sometimes it is time, but sometimes you find yourself in the waiting. Verse 2 says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Listen, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You know, often in the waiting seasons of life, waiting on the promises of God, it's more about what God is doing in you than where he's taking you. Verse three says, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Listen, I love that part of the scripture because in that waiting season, God provided for the Israelites with something that they could not expect, that they did not know, that they could not come up with on their own. And I think God does the same thing for us if we're actually looking for it. So if we pay attention in the waiting seasons, I'm telling you in those moments, you will see the faithful hand of God at work in your life. But we have to practice an attitude of gratitude. And sometimes that choice is challenging. Verse four says, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And that's a miracle, right? That right there is a miracle, somebody, because my clothing does not fit for the same year over and over and over again. The waistband just keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I don't know what's happening. 
My shoes certainly don't last that long. <laughs> Verse 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Ugh. Verse 6, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. He has good plans for us. Every one of us. No one is exempt. But in this journey between where you are and where you're going, God is teaching you something. If you will be attentive enough to see what that is. And I don't know your story, but maybe it's just that God is trying to work out some humility inside of you. Maybe God is trying to teach you how to trust him. Maybe he's working on your character, on righteousness, trying to help you develop some qualities that are going to be needed to sustain you in the next season. If you'll pay attention in the waiting seasons, God is always teaching you something. You know, about two years, maybe more than that now, a few years ago, I was traveling. And I was traveling with uh, my pastor, um, Holly Wagner. Some of you were at She Rises, and you actually got to uh, spend some time there with her. And we were going out to Arizona to do this um, She Leads event. And we were gathering women who lead in their churches from all over Arizona. And so I had coordinated this and planned it. All the details were planned. We had a luncheon that we were going to be having. We were going to fly out that morning, show up at this lunch, be there for all of the things that were happening that day, and fly back home. Now, my friend Holly, she lives in L.A., and I live in Orange County. And I was not about to drive to LAX because we all know that God lives at the Santa Ana Airport. John Wayne is like the airport that you want to fly out of anywhere you go. So I decided I was going to meet Holly, right? You, you go ahead and fly out of LAX, awesome for you, but I'm going to go to heaven here for a moment and fly from there. And so I, I planned our flights and got us coordinated to where we were going to arrive within five minutes of one another. And so, yeah, perfect, right? And so I got it all planned. And then I, I got all my things together. And I showed up at the airport like an hour early, which you don't even need to do that at John Wayne. I'm telling you, it's just like this. And I went through my TSA pre-check, which by the way, okay, that's a, just another Jesus lives there. That was amazing. And I go through and I've got my bag packed and, and I go and I have plenty of time for Starbucks and I have Starbucks in my hand. I've got my carry-on with me and, and I am ready to board the plane before they're ready for me to board the plane. I was on time. I showed up. I was ready to go. And so I, I boarded the plane and I got on and put my carry-on luggage up in the overhead and I sat down in my seat with my hot Starbucks coffee and I sipped on my coffee and I pulled out my phone and I answered some emails and responded to some text messages. I mean, at that moment, I felt like superwoman. I was like, I am doing so much right now. I am multitasking at like the highest level. I'm getting so much accomplished and it is not even 7 a.m. I was so proud of myself. And so we're sitting there on the plane and the plane kind of pulls back to get onto the runway and we're pulled back on the runway and, and we're sitting there. And we keep sitting there. And I'm like, could we just get this show on the road? Like the noise ordinance thing is over. We can take off now. And, and nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden the pilot comes over the speaker and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry for this delay. I have to try to like have a deep voice here so you can just imagine it. I'm so sorry for this delay that is happening today. But um, as you can tell, if you glance out your windows, the fog 
has rolled in and we have no visibility to be able to take off. So we're gonna have to go ahead and sit right here on the tarmac until air traffic control gives us approval to take off this morning. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, we will get you to your destination on time. And I'm like, you better? What? I have plans today. I have worked hard for these plans today. And, and I, while I was grateful that air traffic control and our pilot were not going to propel this giant Airbus down the runway at like 180 miles per hour without visibility, I was also a little bit irritated about the delay. And I was like, kind of like, oh, why is this the story of my life? Why am I always the one who is having to practice patience? God, have I not learned my lesson yet? <laughs> I really think I had those words coming out of my mouth, or at least my mind. 30 minutes goes by and nothing. We're still sitting on the tarmac. And at that point, I began to personalize the problem. At that point, I began to take it on to myself. And I was like, this is awful. This is all my fault. We, I am going to get in late. Holly is already at the Phoenix airport waiting for me. And she is not going to be on time to this event. This is all my fault. All of those ladies that are gathering, they're waiting on me. And I began to personalize the problem. And then... All of the other passengers, they're starting to fidget and they're starting to look for answers. And all of a sudden, the man behind me grabs the back of my seat and he like stands up with force, almost shaking my seat. And he goes, get me off this plane. <laughs> all of a sudden, our plane had become a prison. And the flight attendant, she comes running down the like aisle way and she's like, sir, 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 you are going to have to take your seat. We're going to get off the ground as soon as we can. And he said, you can't keep me here. And she's like, sir, we can't, we can't change things right now. You're just going to have to take your seat. And he's like grunting and sitting down. And I'm thinking, I feel like he does. Except I really want to get to where I need to go. And so I'm sitting there and I'm so frustrated. And on the, I'm inside, I'm throwing like a two-year-old temper tantrum. And I obviously have no poker face because all of a sudden, the lady next to me leans over and grabs my knee and she goes, honey, we showed up on time. We did everything that we could do. Now we're just going to have to sit and wait. And I was like... Thank you, Gandhi. Yeah. So, <laughs> so frustrated. But you see, much of our lives is spent in the wait, in the space between now and later, right? And in the journey of life, there's going to inevitably be seasons of waiting. And I want to tell you, they are always going to feel longer than they actually are. But listen to me, church. Delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. You know, when I was younger, I had this person say this to me, which obviously I've had an issue for quite some time in my life, but they said, relax. God is never late, but he's never early. He's always right on time. And I hated them. <laughs> but I'm pretty convinced that nothing in our life happens in the time frame that I want it to. So we've always got to learn to embrace the weight to find patience in the process. And that's the part that's challenging, it's not so fun. And here's the thing, I got to my destination that day, but the one thing that contributed to me being able to move freely and lightly to the place that I needed to be, hold please, 
was the carry-on. You see, when I showed up that morning at the airport, I did not show up with lots of luggage. I packed perfectly in my carry-on. And so when that plane finally did reach the destination, I stood up and put my foot into the aisle because I was on the aisle seat. I grabbed my carry-on down from the overhead and I placed myself in a position where no one was going to actually walk past me because this is a freebie for you, it has nothing to do with the message. But there's a proper way to deplane an airplane. And I know that some of you might have missed out in preschool, but there's this thing called a line. And we file out in a line, but there's always some joker who thinks, that their, their, their thing is more important than my thing. And they're in the back of the plane, and they're like running down the aisle of the plane before anyone else can stand up. Don't be that person. <laughs> That's a freebie, okay? So I get my carry-on, and I am ready and waiting. It's in front of me just like this. And as soon as we began to file out of the airplane, I'm walking, and I'm walking, and then as soon as there was clear space, I begin weaving in and out of the crowds, like around ladies in wheelchairs and little kids with their parents and all these things that are happening. I was on a mission. And the thing that made it to where I could move freely and lightly throughout that airport was the carry-on. And I went down the escalator to Starbucks, because Holly, you can always find her at Starbucks. And I went there, and I had my carry-on, and we jumped on a shuttle. We went to the rental car place. We got a rental car. We jumped in the rental car, and we showed up at that event right on time. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but here's the thing that I learned that day. It is so important to travel freely and lightly. You see, extra baggage that day could have really slowed me down if I was having to wait for all of my baggage to show up. You see, the story that I showed you earlier about the Israelites, it actually has a backstory. It goes back. You know, the Israelites, before they wandered the wilderness on their journey to the promised land, they were actually in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And a man named Moses, maybe you're familiar with this story, God commissioned him to go and lead the Israelites out of slavery to the promised land. But the story actually goes back further than that. And it goes back to a man named Abraham. His name was actually Abram and his wife Sarai. And God calls them and says, I want you to go to the promised land. He didn't even tell them where they were going. He just told them, I want you to go. And so they did. They were obedient in faith and they went towards the promised land. But the story actually goes back even further than that. It's found in Genesis chapter 11. And it says this, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And it continues, one day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child. And he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. You see, he was headed to the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran and settled there. And Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now let's stop and pull some inferences from this short scripture. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think that it's safe to assume that when Terah decided to move his whole family out of Ur of the Chaldeans to this new land, something must have prompted him to do that. It's said that Ur of the Chaldeans was where all of his family lived. It's where everything that he knew was. 
So in order to move away from that, something must have prompted him to do that. And what's interesting is that he was headed towards the land of Canaan. And actually, the land of Canaan is what we know as the modern promised land. It's modern-day Israel. And I just wonder if the call that God gave to Abraham was actually first given to his father, Terah. But Terah never made it to the promise. You see, it said in that scripture that he reached the city of Haran. And it just happens to be the name of his dead son. And I just wonder, I believe that in order to get to the promised land, Terah was going to have to learn to deal with some of his greatest relational baggage, his greatest emotional baggage. And for him, this had to be loss. I don't know, as a parent, if you've ever lost a child. I imagine in a room full of people that there may be someone that has this kind of experience. But there's nothing like that. There's nothing like the loss of a child. And I just wonder, for Tara, if the pain was just too great, if the memory was just too strong. You see, the relational pain and the baggage that Tara was carrying, it may very well have been the thing that kept him from the promised land. And listen, delayed the process for generations. This life that God has given us to live is not just about us. It's about our children and our children's children. And I just wonder if maybe the promise that God gave to Tara, he was meant to walk out, but he was hindered because of the emotional baggage. You see, when we left Arizona to move to California to launch the Movement Church, we, we knew that God had called us here. We had this call from God. We knew the next step, but not the whole plan, and it was overwhelming and scary and exciting and all of these things together. And here's the thing. When we, when we took off to go, we, we were saying goodbye to all of the comfort that we had known, and we were moving into the unknown. And I'll never forget that day, mostly because we had to leave my Christmas decorations on the side of the road. <laughs> For real. You think I'm kidding. See, we had packed up our entire house in this box called a pod. Some of you are familiar with it. We had everything stored, and it was going to be shipped here to California. And all of the things that couldn't fit inside the pod, we had with us in our friend's garage. So the day that we decided to pack up and move, we loaded all of the little extra things into the car with us and our kids. So our kids are strapped into their seats, and we began to fit things everywhere we could around them. And we had some Christmas decorations that just wouldn't fit in the pod, and so we were stuffing them in the car. It's kind of like Clark Griswold, you know, it's August, and we're wrapping the car with Christmas garland and stuffing it up around the kids' heads. It's poking them in the face, and, and we are just stuffing the car full of things. We had this giant yellow box that Pastor Kerry had had since the day we got married. I begged him to get rid of it, but he was determined that it was going to make us millions because it had every baseball card you could ever imagine inside of it. And we had that box stuffed in there. We had my body pillow. You know, this thing had seen me through a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights. 
It had helped me when I was giant and pregnant to be comfortable. It had been like the thing that I could cuddle and cry on when I was mad at Pastor Carrie. I mean, it had seen me through some troubles. And so we had all of this crammed inside of our car and we took off and we got on the 202 and we're heading out. And Carrie says to me, Megan, I can't see anything. I cannot see any, we have to pull over and take this stuff out of the car. I was like, no, 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 we gotta keep it. And he goes, no, we gotta pull over. We're taking this stuff out of the car. So we pulled it aside of the road. We call our friends, we're like, you gotta come pick this up and take it to the dump. We have to unload it right now. So we unload all of the Christmas decorations. We unload the yellow box of baseball cards. <laughs> we unload the body pillow. We put it all on the side of the road and our friends had to come and, and pick it up and take it to the dump for us. But here's the thing, if we had tried to travel with all of that unneeded baggage inside the car, it would have hindered our vision and could have created a collision anytime we were trying to change lanes or exit the freeway. And I just wanna encourage some people in the room with a few thoughts today. If you actually want to move into your promised land, into the place that God has for you, if you want to take that next step, you're gonna have to first deal with some extra baggage. You're gonna have to deal with some baggage. So to move into your future, number one, if you're taking notes, is you are going to have to make peace with your past. You're going to have to make peace with your past. Listen, maybe you're like Tara. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe it's the loss of a marriage. Maybe it's the loss of a child. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And I want to challenge you. It's okay to take a moment. It's okay to build a memorial. It's okay to to feel and to take a moment, but don't take up residence there. Don't take up residence in the past. Let it be a catalyst to your future. When my dad passed away 11 and a half years ago now, I remember I had a choice to make. I could either let it cause my faith to fully waver, or I could take a step out and continue to pursue the promises of God and knowing that doing that is the very thing that would make my dad proud. I'm just challenging you, don't take up residence in a place of loss. Don't take up residence in a place of pain. Maybe you're dealing with anger, bitterness, or unforgiveness. We talked about this two weeks ago. Listen, people make terrible decisions when they've been wounded. People make terrible decisions when they've been wounded. Psalm 73 says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. Has anyone ever been there? I have been there. You say things you shouldn't say. You do things you shouldn't do. Hebrews 12, 5 says a lot, but it says this, a bitter spirit is not only bad in and of itself, but it actually can poison the lives of others. You see, it wasn't just Carrie and I in our car that day. My kids were in that car with us. And if we had kept all of that baggage in the car and we had gotten in an accident that day, it wouldn't have just affected me. It would have affected my kids. There are always people in your world who are, being, who are being affected by your choices, by your decision to hold on to pain, to hold on to unforgiveness, to hold on to bitterness. There are people that are being affected by that decision. So we have a responsibility to make peace with our past. Yeah. Who is in the car with you? Your issues don't just affect you. Maybe it's disappointment from unmet expectations. You know, so often, the filter through which we view our current reality is tainted with the wounds, offenses, hurts, and disappointments of our past. So we've got to allow God to help us make peace with our past before we can move into our future. Relational baggage distorts our vision and 
can create a collision that could derail you from the plan that God has for you. Some of you in this room need to stop clinging to the pain. Listen, forgiving is not forgetting. It's not. But unforgiveness becomes bitterness. And we don't have to deal with that. Go back and listen to week one on the podcast. Let God be your defender. You see, there's a scripture in Mark 11 that says when you're praying, you've got to first forgive. You've got to first forgive because that is why and how we see our Father in heaven forgive us to move into your future. Listen, you've got to make peace with your past and you've got to quit memorializing your past. That yellow box of baseball cards that was going to make us millions would probably not have ever made us millions. It just had some great memories of the good old days. And we had to set that aside. And there's some people in this room today that may be living in yesterday because you had some great experiences. Something was just so awesome about your past. I think church people have this happen all the time. Well, back in the day when this happened, yes, it was incredible. But it's like the, the high school football player that's now 75 years old and all he can talk about is yesteryears when he won that trophy and that's, that's the only story he knows how to tell. That was awesome. It was incredible. Let's celebrate it, right? Because that's how we see the faithfulness of God. We look back and we celebrate the good things. We celebrate the faithfulness of God. But listen to me, church. What is ahead of you is greater than what is behind you. The greatest days of your life are yet to come. Psalm 92 says, planted in the house of God, they flourish. In their old age, they will still bear fruit. Listen to me. Some of you need to know that there is more. There is more than what you have experienced. There is something better. You need to start asking God for the more that he has for you. We've got to make peace with our past. We've got to stop memorializing our past. And listen, to move into our future, we've got to get rid of the comfortable fallbacks. This body pillow, it's pretty comfortable saw me through some hard times. When I couldn't sleep at night, I would arrange it to where I could just wrap my legs around it and prop my pregnant belly up on it and hold on and get such a good night's sleep. It's comfortable. Saw me through some hard times when I was angry with my husband, when I couldn't cuddle a stuffed animal anymore because I was married and an adult. Listen, all of us have comfortable fallbacks. We can probably all identify what this is. So what do you turn to when you're stressed? What do you turn to when you're angry? What do you turn to when you're overwhelmed? Is it food? Gonna eat a pint of ice cream? I mean, I've done that. Is it music? I remember as a youth pastor, the teenagers used to put on this music that was like screamo. It made me so angry. And they would put it on like when they were angry and I was like, this is not helping you. This is just making the problem worse. This is awful. <laughs> is, it, is it alcohol? Do you find yourself coping? Trying to numb out so you don't have to feel? Drugs? Is it prescription medication? Maybe nobody else knows, but what's your comfortable fallback? 
Is it leisure? Do you just try to do whatever you can do to distract yourself from the things that you might be walking through or facing? Listen, to travel into your promised land, to get into the place that God has purposed and planned for you, it's going to require clearing your vision by making peace with your past, by letting go of what was to embrace what what is, and by removing your comfortable fallbacks. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, when we remove our comfortable fallbacks, we all of a sudden have to be dependent on God. And this is not comfortable. Hebrews 4.12 says this, and listen closely as we wrap up here today. For the word of God is living and active, It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, that is the Bible. It is our direction. And listen to me, church. It is a sword, not a pillow. It is a sword, not a pillow. And it's going to cut away a little bit. And it's going to hurt a little bit. It's not going to be comfortable. But just like the Israelites, we read about in the beginning, God has us on a journey to a promised land. And you need to know that your current situation is not your destination. So the question is, what is God trying to do in your life right now? What is he trying to do? to identify that needs to be cut away. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. He has good things in store for you. Now, timing is crucial. Timing is everything. And some of us need that sweet nurse to tap us on the leg and go, relax, honey, it's just not time yet. Timing is crucial. You need a word from God. It needs to align with the Bible, and it needs to align with some leadership in your life. But in this process, in the travel of time, God does the greatest work inside of us. He does the greatest work inside of us and then through us if we'll let him help us. So let's deal with the extra baggage so that we don't get held back, so that we don't get slowed down because it's not just about you. There's people coming after you. There's people that are watching you to see how you live your life. There's people that are not just your children. They work with you. They're your coworkers, and they've heard you talk about this Jesus. You've invited them to church, and they haven't showed up yet. But they're watching because this is not just about you. This is about what God wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. And Hebrews 12 tells us, lay aside the extra baggage and run with endurance. Do you know what that means? Do you know another word for endurance? K 
carry on. Carry on. Listen, the man on my plane, he wanted off that day. It was, it was frustrating him. He didn't like the weight. It was too painful. He was probably claustrophobic. But if he had made us reroute that plane, he would have compromised where he needed to go and it would have affected all of us. Some of you have got to stop giving up when the weight gets uncomfortable or when you feel tired or when you feel emotional or when you feel irritated. You know what? Sometimes we got to put on our big girl panties and our big boy panties and carry on. <laughs> carry on. Run with endurance. This race set before us. How do we do it? Looking to Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. We carry on. I want to pray for some people in the room right now, and I'm going to just invite you to, to stand to your feet. You see, I just believe in a room full of people like this that there has to be some people who are waiting on a promise. There has to be some people in the room today that are praying and trusting God with some desires in your heart that you just haven't seen actualized yet. There has to be some people in the room today who are searching for purpose. And I just want to pray for you because I actually believe that the season that you're in, the season of waiting, it's in the season that God is redefining who you are and what he has for you. And maybe you're here and you're praying for a child. Maybe you're praying for a spouse. Maybe you're praying for a dream that's been in your heart that's just died. And you need God to resurrect that dream. Maybe some of you are here and you need to deal with forgiveness. You need to let some things go and stop clinging to the past. Maybe you're here today and you've been relying on some comfortable fallbacks. Maybe there's something that you've been looking to other than Jesus and today is a day to get that right. To let the word of God come in and cut away the things that don't belong so that you can run with endurance the race God's called you to. So if you're here today, I'm asking everyone in this room just to close your eyes for a moment. And if you're here today and you find yourself in the wait and you'd like me to pray for you, would you just slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying for all over the room? Let me pray for you right now. Jesus, God, you, you're the creator. You're the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we trust you. God, for every man, woman, and teenager in this room today, God, I know that it's not by accident that they are here. That today, you are reigniting some dreams. God, you are speaking to purpose. God, in this room today, you are bringing hope where there's been disappointment and discouragement. God, I pray that today in the middle of the wait that you will help us identify what you want to do inside of us in this season so that we can run this race with endurance that you've given us to run. 
God, I thank you so much for every single person who's here. And God, as we wait upon you, as we fix our eyes on you, God, would you just strengthen our heart? Would you strengthen our resolve? Would you give us the courage to run this race with endurance? Eyes on you. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. I believe there's some of you in this room who've been running from the purpose that God has for you. And I'm praying that in this moment that the Holy Spirit is just leaning in close and reminding you. And I also know there's people in this room that may never have started a relationship with Jesus. You may be here today, maybe you've been wrestling with your faith. Maybe you don't really even know what you believe, but you just decided to show up at church today. And what I want to tell you is there's a God in heaven who knows you, who loves you, who's been waiting for you. He created a place for you. I don't think it's by accident that you're here. But all of this starts with a relationship with Jesus, and it's not just a good feeling or a good vibe. It's a decision that we make to say, Jesus, I am going to let you determine the direction of my life. So that verse, running with endurance, eyes on Jesus, it starts with a decision. And there's some of you here today who need to make that decision. Maybe for the first time. Hey, listen, maybe for the first time in a long time. Maybe you're just running your own way, doing your own thing. Maybe you've been hurt. I don't know what your story is. But I believe that Jesus, the Bible says, stands at the door and knocks. He's just waiting for you and for me to make a decision to allow him in. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to get out of your seat. This is between you and God. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this room today? And I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you to be brave with your answer. If you're here today and you know that today is your day, if you're here today and you know that today you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, to stop trying to do it your own way, to stop trying to do it all on your own. If you're here today and you need to pray that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying with? Awesome. And in your own heart and in your own mind, you can put your hand back down. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've tried to do things my own way and I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. And today I'm making a decision to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And all around the room, if that's you and you're praying that prayer with me, would you just let these words be the words of your heart? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name we pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.